What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 100, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 250 pay-per-view going down this Saturday, June 6, 2020, from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we analyze all the fights on this card, just want to give a quick shout out to everybody who has listened over the past 100 episodes. I never thought I would make it to 100 episodes when I came up with this podcast a few years ago, uh, but here we are analyzing each and every UFC fight, uh, breaking down the betting odds, predicting it. I have fun making each and every episode. I get a lot of fulfillment from this. I love meeting new people and seeing people enjoying the podcast, and I'm just very happy that I'm getting a lot of uh, positive feedback lately. Uh, The bets have been going very well. We're on a, a winning streak for the past maybe five or six UFC events, so... Just very grateful for each and every listener, each and every person who shares and likes and comments on the podcast. You mean a lot to me, and uh, I will keep grinding out these episodes as long as we keep getting UFC events and betting odds for each and every event. So uh, we're going to dive into this 12-fight card going down this Saturday. We got a great card, a lot of fun matchups, a ton of value on these betting lines, and I've already made a lot of bets for this card. Uh, Sometimes I haven't made too many bets before the card. I'm waiting to see value and whatnot but this card i feel like has a ton of value it had value early it has value now and it probably will all the way up until fight night so i'm loving these betting lines and i can't wait to break down these fights for you guys so the first fight of the evening is a catchweight fight in the 150 pound weight class between evan dunham and herbert burns the opening betting line for this one was burns the favorite at minus 275 to dunham plus 195 Right now, we are seeing Burns minus 225 to Dunham plus 185. So there is two-way action coming in on this fight. Actually, Dunham shot up to a plus 240 underdog uh, for a little bit there. I actually was able to bet him for a half a unit at plus 240. And I just think there's a lot of value on that betting line. I mean, this matchup was thrown together kind of last minute. But I think Dunham was training for a fight uh, before this anyway, back in uh, late April, I think. Yeah, against Michael Johnson in late April. So Dunham is typically a lightweight, but he's cutting this extra five pounds for this catchweight. I doubt that'll be a problem. And Burns is a natural featherweight. He's moving up five pounds for this fight. And despite Burns getting a, a first-round knockout in his UFC debut, Um, I don't think he really proved that much in that fight. I mean, I guess it proved he could strike a little bit better than I originally thought. But, I mean, that was kind of just a wild, uh, crazy exchange where he landed a a knee out of nowhere on land wear. And I don't think that was a very uh, replicable outcome. And uh, I don't think that really Burns showed his depth in that fight. And I think he's still pretty unproven, you know. He's uh, a big, powerful, explosive guy. He likes to go for takedowns. He likes to get an early submission. But we have not really seen the layers to his game. We haven't seen his cardio tested and we haven't really seen him tested by any good opponents yet so unless Evan Dunham is uh, a shot fighter at this point and just very physically declined I think that he's actually going to give Burns a really good fight and from what I saw in Dunham's last fight uh, back in September of 2018 against Trinaldo I mean he still looked very competent he's always been a very well-rounded fighter and he can do all aspects of MMA he's a veteran been in the game for 15 20 years so I mean the age and the decline is definitely a concern and I think that Burns could just come out here and swarm Dunham and maybe touch that liver. Uh, Dunham's always have a, had a weakness to the body shots throughout his career. So maybe du- uh, Burns comes out here and just swarms him with uh, punches and strikes and gets him out of there early. 
if Burns were to attempt a lot of takedowns and look to try to submit Dunham, I think he would actually have a lot of trouble with it, and he might even gas out doing so. He might end up in some bad positions on the ground because Dunham is a legit grappler. He has good takedown defense, and he's actually got pretty good striking. So if this fight stays in the feet for long amounts of time, I think Dunham will start to win the striking exchanges. And honestly, if the fight goes past the three-minute mark, the five-minute mark, I think I would start to favor Dunham in those later rounds. Just the overwhelming experience advantage is going to start to take over over and I think that we could start to see some of the inexperience and youth of Herbert Burns here so um, I think that it's very possible that Burns comes out here and just athletes Dunham and Dunham looks like a, a physically declined fighter and gets an early round one finish but if he doesn't get the finish in round one I think that he's going to be in trouble and we actually might see Dunham start to take over and win later rounds and maybe even win a decision here so I like the early value on Dunham at plus 240. I think that there's a little bit of value left on plus 185. I just think that this line is heavily relying on Dunham being a declined fighter because if he comes in anywhere near to where he can perform and where he has performed in his past few fights, I think he gives Burns a very tough fight and looks a lot better than plus 185. So I'm going to pick Herbert Burns to get a first-round knockout in this one as an official pick, but the betting value is definitely on Evan Dunham, and as I mentioned earlier, I have a half a unit on him at plus 240, so I think that Burns' knockout was plus 550. I like the value on that, too, so I think that maybe you can play both sides in this fight. I mean, it's entirely possible Burns wins by submission uh, as well as that is his bread and butter, but I think that the knockout would be the much more common path to victory because of uh, Dunham's uh, susceptibility to knockouts in his past. So once again, the pick is Burns by first-round knockout, but I'll go with uh, Dunham in the betting window. The next fight is in the light heavyweight division. We have Alonzo Menafield taking on Devin Clark. The opening betting line for this one was Menafield, the favorite at minus 330 to Clark plus 270. Right now we are seeing Menafield minus 222 Clark plus 180. So needless to say, a lot more action is coming in on Devin Clark and rightfully so. Right away, this betting line kind of sticks out on me as just an overrated untested athletic fighter in Menafield being a big favorite over uh, a proven durable and competent guy like Clark and I find myself betting Clark a lot I think I bet him versus uh, Stosic and against Ryan Spann and he, he did win that Stosic fight but fell short in the Spann fight and uh, Spann is a kind of a similar fighter to Menafield I think they both train out of uh, Fortis MMA they're both um, kind of raw, powerful, athletic guys, and we, they're just very untested. I think Span's actually a lot better than Menafield. I mean, Menafield is the better athlete, no question. I mean, this guy is a massive, athletic, powerful guy, um, but I don't think he's nearly as technical as Span is. And I think that in his UFC fights, he looks super underwhelming. I mean, he has a few first-round knockouts on his record, but you got to look at the level of competition. I mean, Vincius Moreira went like 0-3 in the UFC and got knocked out all three times. Uh, a quick knockout on uh, the Contender Series in eight seconds, that doesn't prove much. And then the win over Paul Craig, again, he was kind of losing that fight, wasn't looking too good in the first few minutes. And then Paul Craig throws a dumb spinning strike and Menafield lands one punch and the fight is over so I definitely think this is going to be the toughest test of Menafield's career and I'm honestly not sure he passes it I think that Clark with his wrestling background and he being able to cage push being able to hit takedowns and him actually have pretty competent
good and striking. I think he's going to give Menafield a tough test wherever this fight goes. And we might even see Clark hitting takedowns, getting on top. We might see Clark winning these prolonged striking exchanges. And I think this is going to be a much closer fight than the odds indicate. So um, Clark is not one of the guys who I've bet so far i definitely think there's a lot of value on plus 180 i would cap this at like minus 150 for menafield um like a 60 percent chance but where it's at now at almost 70 percent for menafield i think that the line is way off in this one so have not bet clark myself yet but I, I i definitely think i'll end up on him by fight night as i am picking clark by decision in this one as my official pick but we have not heard any official news about if they're using the 30 foot cage or the 25 foot cage and i remember saying last week that i didn't think the small cage would be a big factor in the fights but we had i think five or six finishes to start start the evening a lot of submissions and knockouts the last card so maybe the small cage was a factor and this this fight could be one of the ones where the small cage plays into it with these big boys in the cage so Menafield could always come out there and athlete him and uh, get that early knockout where he just doesn't prove much and just relies on his athleticism but I think I'm going to pick the uh, the better technical fighter in Clark to drag Menafield into deep water and kind of expose him a little bit so the picking this one is Clark by decision. The next fight is in the flyweight division. We have Alex Perez taking on Juicier Formiga. The opening betting line for this one was Formiga minus 130, Perez plus 110. Since then, the line has flipped. We're now looking at Perez minus 130, Formiga plus 110. So I agree with the action here on Perez. Perez actually got bet down to a, a little more of a sizable favorite at minus 150, minus 160 range. And then the action has been steady creeping back in on Formiga the past few days. And I actually really like Alex Perez in this fight. I'll, I'll say that I've, I've already bet him at minus 136 for two units. And I just really like this matchup at this point in their careers. And I'll start things off with saying that Formiga is an excellent MMA fighter. He might even be one of the all-time great MMA fighters. But sadly, after seeing his past few fights, I do think he is a declining fighter and uh, the Brandon Marino fight was pretty much all the evidence you need, I think. If he had fought Marino in the past five or seven years of his career, I think he would have won that fight. He would have gotten much more dominant grappling positions, kept them, and did a lot more uh, meaningful scoring with those grappling positions. But he just did not have uh, the athleticism to hold Marino down in that fight and lost a close decision, even though he had a lot of uh, opportunistic grappling opportunities. And a few years ago, Formiga was jumping on those opportunities and not losing them he would get back takes for four or five minutes he was submitting people left and right and he's just not the fighter that he once was sadly um so when he's facing a great wrestler in Perez, I think he's really going to struggle because Formiga relies a lot on takedowns and Perez has a great base, good takedown defense, and great jiu-jitsu of his own. So I think Formiga is really going to struggle taking Perez down, getting him in uh, dominant grappling positions. And even if Formiga does get some uh, some dominant positions like a back take or a top control on the ground, I'm confident in Perez uh, being able to defend those positions and escape similar to Moreno did. Um, Moreno used his athleticism to escape a lot of positions and typically that Formiga wouldn't let that happen I mean he took down Figueredo and kept him down and Figueredo's athleticism was not enough to escape the positions but then a year later all of a sudden Marino was escaping those very same positions so on the feet in this one I'm going to give a pretty substantial edge to Alex Perez because of that physicality I just think that Perez is the much more effective boxer he's uh 
got a speed advantage, got a power advantage in this fight. And Formiga is just not landing many strikes. I mean, if you look at Formiga's past few fights, the amount of strikes that he's landed, it's been very bad. And it's because he heavily relies on that grappling top control to win these fights. And the, uh, the Figueroa win, he had 26 strikes landed. The win over uh, Sergio Pettis, 18 strikes landed. In uh, the 15-minute fight versus Marino, I was talking about 15 strikes landed. So you see why he's losing these fights is because, well, he only lost one of those fights I just mentioned. But I, I think that when these fights are going to the scorecards, he's just not landing enough substantial strikes to... Uh, to sway the judge's mind sadly and his grappling control is just not what it once used to be so that's why i really like this matchup for perez i think that he stuffs takedowns avoid uh, avoids the submission threat avoids getting his back taken at any point and he's just able to outbox and outstrike formiga on the feet and we might even see a knockout from perez as this fight goes on so the pick for me is perez by decision and i'm playing his money line and i think that uh, formiga by submission at plus 600 is like a good insurance policy on perez because because if Formiga is able to win here, I think it is off of a, an opportunistic back take or opportunistic submission where he gets the, the, the finish. I don't see him winning by decision because of that low strike count I was talking about. And I uh, definitely don't see him winning by knockout either. So Perez decision and Formiga sub is the way to play this one. And I'm pretty confident in Perez to get this one done. And I really like the value on his money line. It's at minus 130 now. I think that's got a ton of value. And I really like Perez in the spot. The next fight is in the middleweight division. We have Charles Bird taking on Maki Patolo. The opening betting line for this one was Bird, the minus 160 favorite, to Patolo plus 140. Right now, we are seeing Bird minus 170, Patolo plus 150. So there's two-way action coming in on this one. I think the early action came in on Patolo, but then recently, the past week or so, steady action has been coming in on Bird, and rightfully so. I think this fight could actually be a mismatch. I think that Patolo is definitely going to be undersized in there. He has fought at 185 in his career before. I mean, he won on the Contender Series at 185, uh, but then he dropped down to 170 for his next fight against Callum Potter and just looked awful in that fight. I mean, that was such a bad performance from him. He was uh, almost a minus 400 favorite in that fight and totally shit the bed and was getting outboxed, getting lit up with punches, just terrible defense, getting taken down, stuck on bottom, gassed out really badly. Pretty much everything that uh, could have possibly went wrong for Patolo in that fight went wrong. And now Patolo is matched up with a guy who is way better than Callum Potter and is also 15 pounds bigger than Callum Potter. So I really like this fight for Charles Bird. I think that, uh, I mean, he was hovering around minus 130, minus 140 for a long time. And I did not bet him at that point because I, I hadn't taped the fight up until then. But even at minus 160, minus 170, I think that there could be value because Bird is just going to be the much more bi uh, bigger and physical guy in there. And that's really going to come into play in the takedowns. Bird does have good takedowns and submission abilities. And, uh, I think that that's definitely going to be his path to victory here. Uh, I mean, he could win on the feet, though, too. I think the bird is talented enough of a striker to just see through that easy uh, offensive boxing of Patolo and just light him up on the feet. Because as I was mentioning, 
Patolo had almost no boxing defense versus Callum Potter and was just willingly eating punches and getting taken down, stuck on bottom. So I think the Bird can win this fight all three ways, knockout, submission, or decision. I, I think that the finish is much more likely because Patolo just fights very recklessly, and we're going to see a big size and skill differential in there for uh, Charles Bird. So I haven't played Bird yet at that minus 170 price, but I think that he is a very safe pick in this one. I cap him uh, at around 77. 75% and outside of a, a first round knockout from Patolo and the feet in this one I, I see him really struggling and very unlikely to win this fight so the pick here is Bird and I'm going to pick him by submission for my official pick the next fight is in the featherweight division. We have Cody Stamen taking on Brian Kelleher. The opening betting line for this one was Stamen minus 180 to Kelleher plus 155. Right now we are seeing Stamen minus 260 to Kelleher plus 220. So even though Brian Kelleher came through as that underdog and got that knockout victory a few weeks ago, I think he's still being underrated in the betting lines here. I mean, the current odds have him at plus 220. That implies his chances are around like 31%. I just think that's way too low. I think it's more of like a 60-40 a type of fight for Cody Stamen. And Stamen has great wrestling, great chain wrestling. He chains together takedown after takedown. And if his opponent stuffs the first shot, he will change angles, change levels, change the type of takedown he's looking for. And he's a really good wrestler. And he probably will take Elher down here, but... The thing is, once he gets his opponents to the floor, he does not have reliable top position. He doesn't have good ground and pound. He doesn't go for submissions. So he's working so hard for these takedowns a lot of the time, but he doesn't really have a lot to show for it. And the perfect evidence of that is his last fight against Song Yudong, where he definitely should have won that fight, but was somehow awarded a draw after that weird point deduction. I mean, I thought he almost won all three rounds of that fight, and somehow some of the judges uh, gave him uh, one round, gave him two rounds. I mean, it was a mess in the scorecards, and I mean, not his fault. The judges really messed that one up, but he could have been a lot more convincing and dominant with those takedowns, um, so it is kind of his fault to an extent. So when this fight is on the feet, I think I actually favor Kelleher straight out. I think that he's the much more uh, competent striker, and I mean, it proved in that Hunter Azure win. I mean, he weathered the storm. He started to make reads. He realized that Azure was dropping that hand on the left kick and or on the low kick, and he just leaped in with a beautiful left hook and knocked out uh, Hunter Azure cold with one punch. I mean, it was such a great knockout. It was a huge uh, profitable fight for me. I think I won like seven units on that fight alone. So I'm really high on Kelleher right now, and I'm totally down to throw one of those units I won right back on his money line at plus 240 here because I think he's definitely going to fight for your money i think that if this fight hits the scorecards it's very close and you're going to get that value out of kelleher and if there's a finish in this one i think it's overwhelmingly going to be on kelleher's side so a really good bet for um, Kelleher would probably be the no scorecards bet. That means if he finishes the fight inside the distance, you win the bet. If it goes to the scorecards, you get your money back. So uh, being as if this statement is very unlikely to finish, uh, I think that the, if the fight hits the scorecards, you're getting your money back. And if there's a finish, you win your bet on uh, Kelleher. So 
I think that I'll be playing the the money line in this one for Kelleher and the no scorecards, and I really like the value on Kelleher. And I, I think I'll stay with pick and stamen decision because I think that Kelleher will struggle with the takedowns. He will spend some time on bottom, but when the fight's on the feet, I think that Kelleher will be landing the more damaging strikes and winning the eyes or winning the fight in the eyes of the judges. So I really like Kelleher in this fight. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick him straight out. I will still pick a stamen decision. But make no mistake, the betting value on this one is on Kelleher. It's a totally a dog or pass situation. And uh, I'll be betting Kelleher money line and no scorecards in this one. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Gerald Mearshart taking on Ian Heinish. The opening betting lines for this one was Heinish minus 142, Mearshart plus 120. Right now we are seeing Heinish minus 135 to Mearshart plus 115. So two-way action coming in on this fight and i'll say it right off the bat i love gerald mearshart in this fight i think it's an amazing matchup and i was really high on ian heinish after his first two ufc fights i think i bet and won on him as an underdog in those fights and he had really fun uh takedown defense and sprawl and brawl type performances in those fights and i was really convinced that ian heinish was good but then in that Derek brunson fight i kind of realized that his striking is just not very good. He kind of only just throws naked low kicks and wings overhands, and he just does not have very good technical striking. And he did switch up his camps. He left Factory X and has apparently been training at Tiger Muay Thai, but I don't think that's ha going to have a much of an effect on Heinish here. I think he is just way behind in the striking aspect of things in this fight. And if you watch Mirashar's past few fights, I mean, the guy is kind of known as a... A wild grappler who gets in crazy scrambles and likes going for takedowns. But if you watch his past few fights, you've seen that his striking is actually getting much and much better. He's showing good head movement and good defense in his fights. And this is the second fight in a row I've been really high on Gerald Mishard in. He was an underdog in the last fight versus Duran Wynn. And you can probably go back and listen to that analysis. I bet it sounds very similar to this in saying that Mishard is actually a very sneaky good striker. Has good defense. Has a good southpaw boxing a good body kick i mean the guy does a lot of really good things on the feet and he has good takedowns good top control he's able to escape bottom he's able to go for submissions from all angles of the mat and he's just a really fun exciting fighter to watch and i will admit that he does have a path to losing this fight and that would be giving Heinish the fight that he wants and that's Heinish wants to defend takedowns and he wants to use his physicality and his cardio to just out hustle you throughout the 15 minutes so if Gerald Mearshart um, mistakenly attempts a lot of takedowns in this fight and tries to get the fight to the floor I think that he probably loses and if he keeps his fight striking and he keeps it at that, that kicking range where he's so good then I think that he's going to tune Ian Heinish up on the feet very similar to how he did versus Duran Wynn had a bit of a close first round with Ron Wayne, got hit with some punches. I think he even got taken down at one point, but he uh, was able to get off of his back. He was able to start outstriking and busting up Duran Wynn in rounds two and three, and then eventually hurt Duran Wynn and took him down and choked him out. So Gerald Mearshart had one of his best performances of his career in the last fight versus Duran Wynn, and I think he really keeps it rolling here. I just love this matchup. I think that uh, we're going to see a massive striking differential for Gerald Mearshart in this one, and I think he's going to be uh, land. And the uh, way better strikes in the eyes of the judges and another big thing here is 
Ian Heinrich uh, really struggles landing head strikes. That's one of the things is when he fought Derek Brunson and Omar Yakhmetov in those 15-minute fights, they were mostly striking, but he did not land very many head strikes in those fights at all. He really focused on landing to the legs and to the body. He landed a few uh, a few better head strikes versus uh, Brunson, but versus Akhmedov, he really struggled hitting Akhmedov. And I think he really struggles with hitting Mershard here with his good defense and head movement too. So I think that Mershard overwhelmingly wins the striking this one outside of some big crazy overhand right from Heinish. But even that I see is very unlikely. So I love Gerald Mershard in this fight. I already got about 2.5 units down on him as an underdog at around the average price of plus 115 and I might even add more so I'm loving Mearshart as a, as a bet in this one and I will pick him to win by decision. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Chase Hooper taking on Alex Caceres. The opening betting line for this one was Caceres minus 120, Hooper minus 110, a near pick'em, and right now we are seeing Hooper minus 185 to Caceres plus 160. So a ton of action has come in on Chase Hooper, and actually in the past like 48 hours, he's been getting absolutely steamed in the betting line. I mean, even earlier today. He was minus 140, and then he's at minus 185 now. So needless to say, there's a lot of public action coming in on Chase Hooper. And I actually think that it's pretty justified. I mean, I just don't see any way he doesn't get this fight to the floor where he should be able to outgrapple Caceres. And Hooper is a very raw fighter. He's got bad striking, bad striking defense. He can definitely take a punch. He's gotten his chin checked a few times throughout his MMA career. Um, but once he fights a, a really good uh, takedown defense guy who's got good striking, he's going to get pieced up. But Caceres is not that guy. And Caceres really struggles getting taken down, really struggles getting his back taken. And that's just a recipe for disaster against Hooper, who... Despite being a really young guy, I think he's the youngest fighter on the UFC roster. I mean, he has legitimately good jiu-jitsu, and I think that he will outgrapple Caceres pretty easily once this fight gets to the floor. And in Caceres' last fight versus Steven Peterson, he got taken down and got his back taken in round one. And Peterson just didn't shoot many takedowns th throughout the rest of that fight and was just kind of running into punches. And Caceres did a good job of moving laterally and outstriking him, moving backwards, and won that fight on the decision. Um, but make me no mistake, that was because Peterson just had a terrible game plan. I mean, he took him down and took his back in round one, but then somehow was just totally un unable to get into wrestling range for the rest of the fight and just was content to lose. And Hooper is not going to do that. He just recklessly charges for takedowns, almost desperately charges for takedowns at some point and just shoots takedown after takedown. So even if Caceres is able to block a few of his takedowns, I just see no way that he's going to completely avoid the takedown of Hooper. And a lot of it stems from Caceres just having no power on the feet. He's not going to have any power to get respect from Hooper. If he had some power to keep Hooper um, away from him, keep him from shooting takedowns, uh, he would be able to maybe scare Hooper off and make it a tough fight and maybe win it. But Caceres is just not a hard hitter, and uh, he just doesn't have the power to stop Hooper from moving forward. So I think Hooper probably gets the takedown and gets the submission in round one in this fight. I think I did throw some uh, some action on Hooper by sub at plus 240. I was pretty surprised. I thought it was going to be like maybe plus 150. And I think I actually did get some good value on it because it has since been bet down. I originally bet him at plus 240, and now, yeah, now it's at plus 170. So it did get some good value on Hooper by submission there, and I do think it happens in the first round. So 
if Caceres is able to avoid the takedown, avoid the back take, and gets out of round one safely in this fight, then look to live bet Caceres. But in the pre-fight uh, betting window, I see no value on Caceres. I mean, even if he got up until like plus 200, plus 250, I don't see any value because I see Cooper just getting that early takedown and winning the fight early. Now, uh, Caceres might come uh, come back and adapt like he did versus uh, Peterson, but I just don't see any way where he looks like a good bet in the first five minutes of the fight. So I'm going to be picking Hooper in this one to get the first round submission. The people who came in on Hooper as that uh, that early favorite, I think I got some great value. But right now where it's at, I'm going to just pass in this one and stick with my Hooper by submission bet. So uh, once again, the pick is Hooper round one submission. So the first fight on the main card is in the Bantamweight division. We got Sean O'Malley taking on Eddie Wineland. The opening betting line for this one was O'Malley minus 400 to Wineland plus 310. Right now we are looking at O'Malley minus 485 to Wineland plus 385. So man, crazy times where Sean O'Malley opens up an 80% favorite and is still getting bet at minus 485 at around 85%. So needless to say, the public is on Sugar Sean in this one. And I mean, he's got a, a fun personality. He's got an exciting fighting style. But I think that is factored into the betting line here, which is dangerous. I mean, once these two guys are locked into the cage together, Sean O'Malley's persona and his, his attitude and whatnot goes out the window and it's still a fight and you got Eddie Wyland who is a, a veteran who, a well-rounded veteran with really good boxing he's got some pop in his hands and even that last fight against Popov he, he proved that he was still uh, a bit durable he got he took some shots in that fight and was able to recover and still win the fight and he proved that he still has a good uh, good aggression he still has very crisp boxing fast hands what I will say about Wineland that is a pretty big concern is that his defense is always uh, a little lackadaisical. I mean, he fights with his hands closer to his hips, which is what makes his boxing effective. But it also just leaves his head open for strikes a lot of the time. And I'm really worried about a speed disadvantage between him and O'Malley here. O'Malley is going to have like 10 years of youth on him. So we really could see a big speed advantage for O'Malley. And he could just light up. Wineland with straight punches and get an early finish um, that's definitely probably the most common outcome here is that O'Malley round one knockout but where this betting line sits at right now I think it's crazy honestly I think that there's a ton of value on Eddie Wineland at plus 385 I mean I would realistically cap this fight at like 75% for O'Malley minus 300 plus 250 on the comeback for Wineland so I mean that's way off of where the odds are at now I'd say I mean it's about 10% off the odds are 85% I think that O'Malley's chances are more like 75% so that means the value is on Wineland in this one and if this fight goes into the second round and we start seeing long even exchanges on the feet in this one I think Wineland could start winning those exchanges take over and start doing damage on Sean O'Malley and O'Malley is really untested I mean he has not fought very many good opponents at all in the UFC he actually struggled with Terion Ware in round two was losing that round uh got hit with a lot of strikes I think he got hit like 40 or 50 times by Terion Ware in round two so O'Malley's uh his defense his cardio those are all major concerns that we just have not seen him tested enough and O'Malley did come off of that long layoff that suspension and get a first round knockout but going back and re-watching that knockout over Quinones very underwhelming performance I mean Quinones just completely wilted per to pressure got hit with a few shots and just went down very easy I don't think that Sean O'Malley really showed a lot in that fight at all 
uh, despite you know getting that first round finish. I mean, he, sh- he showed some composure, uh, getting in, getting back in there and getting the job done. But in terms of uh, growth uh, from two years ago, I really did not see anything to, to indicate that O'Malley was better. Um, so. As an official pick, I'll go with O'Malley round one knockout just because I think he's going to have a speed and athletic advantage, and uh, it's possible that he just lights Eddie up early and gets that first round knockout. But I think if this fight goes out of the first round and we start to see long exchanges on the feet between these two, I think that it gets real even real fast, and I think the Wineland could even win this fight by decision or a late knockout by possibly. So... The odds are off in this one. I think there's some value on Wineland, and I have a half a unit on Eddie Wineland at plus 380. Uh, But once again, the pick is going to be Sugar Sean, first-round knockout. The next fight is in the welterweight division. We have Neil Magny taking on Anthony Rocco Martin. The opening betting line for this one was Magny, the minus 150 favorite, to Rocco plus 130. Right now, we are seeing Magny minus 135 to Rocco plus 115. So I think that there is some massive recency bias going into this betting line. I mean, Neil Magny was a plus 170 underdog to Li Jingliang in his last fight. And I think that if this fight happened six months ago, we would be looking at Rocco Martin minus 170, minus 150. But just because Magny got that one win over Li Jingliang, I think he's being a little overrated in this spot. And I will say why is because I think that Jingliang gave Magni the chance to win that fight if that fight stayed at kickboxing range and Jingliang just struck with him at kicking range then he probably has a very even fight and maybe even beats Magni but he just kind of recklessly charged into the clinch and shot a lot of takedowns and gave Magni all the advantages he needed he Magni started out clinching him started hitting his own takedowns and really started dominating Jingliang throughout that fight so it was a decent win for Magny. It was a good comeback. I mean, he was all, uh, hadn't fought for a year and a half or something like that and came back and got a nice win. But I think that there's a huge asterisk next to that win and seeing as that Jing Liang just fought terribly and gave Magny the chance to win that fight. And Martin won't, won't do that. I mean, he's got good fight IQ. I think he is the better striker of the two. People might disagree with that, but I think that there's also some delusion uh, going on with Magny throughout his career. I mean, the guy has always been kind of a frustrating striker. I mean, he's a, a long, rangy guy. He's got like an 80-inch reach, but he does not jab. He does not use his straight punches. He does not use his reach effectively, and it's kind of been uh, always an underwhelming striker and Martin on the other hand has a very solid jab he's got a good counter right hand that he uses to counter punch with and he's got a very nice calf kick he pretty much throws his calf kick against all of his opponents and he had a very very good win against Ramazan Amiv in his last fight I think Amiv was like like 18 and 1 or something like that going into that fight and Martin uh beat him up pretty badly I mean he was lighting his leg up with calf kicks outstriking him stuffing takedowns I mean Martin's takedown defense his defensive grappling has came a long way he was able to survive the the early storm of Damian Maya and get it into the later rounds and he still lost that fight on the decision but I think he fought pretty well throughout that fight and I think that Martin has just been fighting and beating the better competition and Magny is getting overrated here after his most recent win so 
Another thing I want to mention about this fight is that Magni has had very bad leg kick defense throughout his pretty much his entire career. Uh, he did a decent job checking some uh, kicks versus Jingliang in his last fight, but again, you can't look at that one fight and just think all his problems are solved. I mean, he got leg kicked a lot versus Condit, Lorenz Larkin, and most notably Santiago Ponzinibbio just lit his lead leg up because he's just very heavy on that lead leg when he's moving forward. So. I think that Rocco Martin's calf kick will be landing a lot throughout this fight. I think the boxing exchanges will be won by Rocco Martin as well. I think we'll see Magni leading the exchanges, the one throwing strikes first, and we'll see Rocco countering and winning those exchanges by landing the more meaningful strikes. And I doubt we'll see any offensive takedowns from Martin. He's not really the offensive wrestling type, although he is the better grappler of the two. So we could see Magni shoot takedowns in this one and look to get the clinch when he's getting outstruck at distance, but um Martin's takedown defense is really good. Stuffed nine of nine takedowns versus Ramazan Amiv, a talented wrestler in his last fight. So I think Martin will be able to avoid the clinch, avoid the takedown of Magni, and outstrike Magni at range in this one. So I actually cap Martin as a favorite in this one at around 60-65%. And I have one unit on him at plus 110, another unit at plus 135. So two units on Martin at an average price of about plus 123 or something like that. Uh, I'm picking him straight out to win this one by decision and might even add more if the fight is still, if he's still an underdog uh, during fight night. But it looks like the action is slowly creeping back in on Martin. So if you want to get on in on Martin, I think that now's the time to do so. He could end up uh, becoming a favorite or a pick him by fight night. So once again, the pick is Rocco by decision. The next fight is in the Bantamweight division. We have Aljamain Sterling taking on Corey Sanhagen. The opening betting line for this one was Sterling minus 145 to Sanhagen plus 115. Right now, we are looking at a pick'em at minus 110 for both fighters. So, needless to say, there is two-way action coming in on both sides of the fight here. But I'd say the more action is definitely coming in on Corey Sanhagen, seeing as he opened at plus 115 and now he's minus 110. So... Um, I'd say the more action is coming in on Sanhagen, but I've seen a lot of people on Sterling too. And my honest pick in this one is this fight is so close and so evenly matched that I see no betting value in either fighter. I mean, the odds right now are minus 110. That's like 52%. I, I honestly can't comfortably say that either fighter has a 55% chance, a 60% chance. I think this one really is 50-50 for me. Maybe a slight lean for Aljamain Sterling, to be honest, but it's such a hard fight to predict. These guys are so good, and I will say this fight is only three rounds, but this needs to be five rounds. I'm telling you, I'm sick and tired of seeing uh, prospect fights in the UFC be three rounds when this fight clearly deserves to be five rounds, especially when we have terrible main events week in after week out, like Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo coming up soon, but that's beside the point this is just such a great fight and it's so evenly matched i would give the striking advantage to Corey sandhagen because i think he has uh the more effective boxing of the two i think aljamain's boxing and striking look phenomenal against pedro munoz uh very unconventional but it's just very effective he landed like 150 strikes versus munoz in that fight and Sanhagen has the much more conventional striking of the two, very effective boxing, great straight punches, and he digs to the body so well, probably one of the best body strikers in all of MMA. So 
But if this fight stays at striking range for long periods of time, I think that Sandhagen will be the one winning them. Uh, I think that Sandhagen's boxing will be uh, have the advantage over Sterling's kicks. I give the boxing advantage to Sandhagen's kicking to Sterling. But in the wrestling and clinching aspect of this fight, there's no question who the advantage goes to, and that is Aljamain Sterling. And that's why I'm leaning Sterling in this one, because I think that when the fight is close, when he's losing the striking exchanges, he can rely on his wrestling uh, to clinch up, get some cage-pushing time, look to hit a takedown, look to get some top time. And Corey Sandhagen has gotten taken down by a lot of his opponents. I mean, the guy has good defensive grappling. Once he gets on the ground, he knows how to get off his back. He doesn't play guard. He doesn't do anything stupid. But he does get taken down by his opponents a lot. So you're definitely going to see Sterling looking to use his wrestling advantage in this fight. And that's where I think that he is just going to win the decision by a small, small margin because these rounds are going to be close, they're going to be back and forth, but Aljamain getting that grappling control is, I think, a very reliable thing that we're going to see in this fight. Uh, Sterling is going to get that body lock, he's going to land some clinch strikes, and just look to kill some time and win the exchanges uh, against the fence. So that's why I'm leaning Sterling in this one, but it, it very well could turn into a pure striking match where uh, Sandhagen is able to avoid the, the the clinch, avoid the takedown, and he outstrikes Sterling uh, at the range. But I will say is this fight being three rounds, I think favors Aljamain Sterling. I think if it were five rounds, we would really see that uh, that body work start to add up and we'd start to see Aljamain's cardio fade in the fourth and fifth rounds, especially he wouldn't be able to grapple as heavily in those later rounds. And that's where uh, I think Sandhagen would start to run away with the fight. So this is an amazing fight. Both of these guys are excellent elite fighters at this point in time. And I really wish it was five rounds, but it's unfortunately three rounds. Still looking forward to it. Still should be a lot of fun, but it's so evenly matched on either side that I personally won't be betting either money line uh, maybe if Aljamain Sterling gets to an underdog I'll bet him but uh, I won't be laying a favorite chalk on either one of these guys so the pick is going to be Aljamain Sterling by decision not a confident pick at all and I would pass and just sit back and enjoy this one uh, from a betting perspective the next fight is in the bantamweight division we have Cody Garbrandt taking on Hathael Sansao the opening betting line for this one was Garbrandt, the favorite, minus 140 to a Sun Sal as the plus 120 underdog. And the line is the exact same now. Garbrandt minus 140, a Sun Sal plus 120. There is two-way action coming in on this fight. At one point, Garbrandt was minus 160, minus 170. Uh, a Sun Sal was up to the plus 150 range at some point. And I think this is a dog or pass situation, and it mostly stems from Cody just being completely untrustworthy and unreliable. And I think that he's proven that in his past two fights. I mean, we'll go back three fights. We'll go back to the TJ Dillashaw first fight at UFC 217. He drops TJ in round one. He gets too cocky and complacent, gets dropped himself in round two, and eventually gets finished off with a right hand from TJ Dillashaw in the second round. Now, he showed some weak defense in that fight. He showed some liabilities in the pocket exchanges, and then he has a rematch against TJ Dillashaw around a year later, and he just does not fix any of the holes in his game. He shows the same weakness, gets hit with the same right hand in the pocket over and over again. DC even uh, 
that even calls it out. The same exact type of exchange drops him and gets him finished in round one of that fight. Now he comes back versus Pedro Munoz, and everyone's thinking, oh, he's he's got to fix that defense now. I mean, he learned his lesson two times in a row. He didn't fix it in the rematch. You think he's got to fix it now, but no. He gets into the same wild, crazy exchanges, has bad defense in the pocket. He's not moving his feet at all. He's leaving his head wide open, just eating right hands, and he gets knocked out in round one by Pedro Munoz. Now, there is a bit of an asterisk next to that fight because he was fighting uh, okay. He was fighting measured and calculated until he ate a headbutt and just decided to start swinging for the fences. Um, but that's just bad fight IQ. I mean, he got hit with a, a, a grazing or a, a headbutt that definitely affected him a little bit. But you can't just throw the game plan out the window and just go full aggression and try to knock him out. And if you do do that, you got to fight smart, not plant your feet and just eat right hands in the pocket from Pedro Munoz, who's an extremely hard hitter. So I just think that he, uh, Cody has shown a, a failure to adapt, a failure to learn. I mean, his coaches have failed. He has failed everyone around him. They're sending him out there back into the cage without fixing any of the massive gaping weaknesses in his defense. Now, he has had 15, 16 months off since that last loss. He's got plenty of time to, to rethink things. But he's also had, uh, I think, a tendon surgery. They didn't. It could be any tendon in the body, whatever that means. A tendon surgery, and he also was hospitalized for liver failure in March of this year. This fight was supposed to happen in April, I think, or late March, and Cody Garbrandt had to pull out because of liver failure. Now that sounds very serious, and you know, especially when it comes down to weight cutting and everything like that. And I just don't think that Cody Garbrandt will ever be the fighter that he was in that that uh that Dom Cruz fight when he was definitely at his peak when he was coming up in the UFC knocking people out I don't think he'll ever be that fighter again I think his confidence is gone and I think that he is uh, probably starting to see some damage starting to see some uh, accumulation of damage throughout his career I mean the guy's had a long wrestling and a long amateur boxing career and now he's gotten knocked out in three straight fights I mean there's no no way you can be betting Cody Garbrandt as a favorite in this spot especially against Rafael Sunsau we've been talking about Gar Garbrandt for the past three minutes let's get over to a Sunsau a Sunsau a very underrated crafty fighter the guy's got great counter uh, counter boxing great punching ability he's also got an amazing top game he can hit takedowns and he's got great jujitsu i mean super super underrated fighter Rafael Sunsau throughout his career now i will admit that him being on the decline and him being a, a shot fighter is a concern of mine he definitely did not look his sharpest against Corey sandhagen in his last fight but if you go back to the rob font fight from ufc 226 july of 2018 I mean, he looks sharp in that fight. Fast hands, great counter-punching skills. Dropped Rob Fountain round one. Was able to take him down and out-grapple him in the later rounds of that fight. And win a decisive decision uh, versus Rob Fond, a tremendous fighter. Uh, so I think that if he's able to replicate that same performance that he did where he, he looks uh, physically well, he looks uh, fast and has that counter-punching ability, I think he's going to give TJ or he's going to give Cody a world of problems on the feet. I think these boxing exchanges are just extremely even. I don't think you can give a massive advantage to either guy. 
Although if I had to give a slight advantage, I would honestly lean a Sun Tao because he is the more defensively minded fighter. He's a little craftier in the pocket. He's got better fight IQ, much more experience. And he also has that takedown and top game as a plan B in case Cody starts winning these exchanges on the feet. Um, although Cody does have pretty solid defensive wrestling, he is a, a former wrestler and was able to defend a lot of the takedowns of Dom Cruz when they fought, but he's actually not fought many wrestlers or many jiu-jitsu guys who have been trying to take him down. So I think Garbrandt's defensive wrestling and takedown defense is actually pretty untested, and we might see a Sun Tzu hit takedowns here if the striking exchanges aren't going his way. So once again, I will say that there is no way that you can be betting Garbrandt as a favorite at this point in his career, coming off of three knockout losses, coming off of surgery and injury. And those three things I just mentioned should be enough for you to just stay away from him as a favorite. And it's possible he comes out here, gets back on track, uh, is maybe comes out aggressive, looking for that first round knockout and just uh, athletes, a Sun Tzu. Maybe a Sun Tzu looks old, his chin and speed isn't once what it was. And maybe Cody Garbrandt comes out here and steamrolls him in round one and gets back on track. But I would not be laying that, uh, that favorite chalk on him to do so because I just think he's untrustworthy and unreliable at this point in his career. So... The pick for me is actually going to be Rafael Sunsau by decision. I think a knockout is definitely possible for a Sunsau too, just because uh, Cody is just so bad in the pocket in his past few fights, and his defense has looked so uh, worrisome and looked like such a liability. So, once again, the pick for me is a Sunsau by decision. I think I have one unit on a Sunsau at plus 140. So, that is going to take us to the main event of the evening. For the Women's Featherweight Championship, we have champion Amanda Nunes taking on Felicia Spencer. The opening betting line for this one was Nunes, the minus 400 favorite to Felicia Spencer, plus 285. Right now, we are seeing Nunes minus 600 to Spencer, plus 450. So she opened up at 80%. The odds right now cap her at 86%. I understand it. She's the, the champion. She's on a huge win streak, beating the best female fighters of all time. And Nunes is herself the best female fighter of all time. But if you objectively look at her last performance against Jermaine Durandamay, I think there's a lot of worrisome things that we saw in that fight. Um, she tried to get the finish in round one versus GDR, like she typically does, uh, expended a lot of energy. And when she didn't get the finish, she was kind of tired in round two. She got hit with some big shots in round two, but was kind of bailed out by the fact that Jermaine Durandame has awful takedown defense in open space. I mean, anytime Nunes would shoot on her in open space, Jermaine pretty much just collapsed and was stuck on bottom, couldn't escape. And Nunes was really bailed out by that. She kind of just laid and prayed for the last three rounds of that fight. I mean, she was somewhat active from top land and some decent ground to pound. And it's not really totally on her. It's on Jermaine to to escape or for the referee to stand them up. I mean, Nunes did what she did to have to win, but her cardio looked very worrisome in that fight. I mean, she was uh, definitely heavy on her feet in round two. That's why she got hit with those heavy shots and was able to kind of catch a second win and win the fight anyway. But, I mean, Nunes' cardio was a concern in that fight. It's been a concern in the past. And one thing that I think a lot of people aren't thinking about in this fight is this fight is at 145 pounds. 
Amanda Nunes has had 51 seconds of cage time at 145 pounds. That was when she knocked out Chris Cyborg. Other than that, though, she has never gone past the 50-second mark weighing in at 145 pounds. So there's no idea what her cardio is going to look like in those later rounds with that extra weight added on to her. And that's a big concern, um, especially when she typically doesn't have good cardio and good output into the later rounds to start with. Add on that extra weight and it gets a, a big concern. But let's talk about just objectively analyzing their skills. I mean, Nunes is the, the better striker by a country mile. Uh, Spencer is pretty much an amateur on the feet, despite her having like a taekwondo black belt. I mean, she just can't really see punches coming, can't avoid them, just gets lit up on the feet with strikes. But she's got a chin, and she is a very tough and durable woman. I mean, she fought Chris Cyborg and got hit with like 50 strikes in the first round of her UFC career and just ate it with no problem. I mean, she I actually think that was her second uh, UFC fight, but um, she ate, I think, 109 significant strikes uh, from Chris Cyborg over three rounds, 122 significant strikes over three rounds, and, you know, never really looked rocked at one point. I mean, she, I'm sure, got buzzed with a few shots, but, I mean, she stayed tough, she stayed durable, stayed on her feet, and uh, kept fighting to the best of her ability throughout that 15 minutes, and that's kind of enough for me to like her chances in this fight. The fact that she's proven durable, the fact that she's proven to take a, a significant amount of damage and stay standing is enough for me to think that maybe she survives that early onslaught of Nunez like Jermaine did and then maybe Nunez is tired in rounds two and three again and maybe uh, Spencer will be able to capitalize on that instead of being just as tired and stuck on her back like Jermaine Duranime was so um, I'm definitely not picking Spencer flat out in this fight, but I definitely think that there is some value on her at above plus 400. I think that Nunez's chances to win the fight are 80%, where the the odds maker opened her at or opened uh, Nunez at at minus 400. Uh, I'd say the comeback on Spencer should be plus 325 at most, but where this line is at now in the 400s and it might even get into the 500s, I think that Spencer is maybe worth a half a unit, a one unit value bet. And it might be it might be dumb because Spencer is probably going to get lit up with punches in the first round. And she's probably going to be an underdog, like a plus six, seven, eight hundred underdog if she survives that early onslaught. But I would look to add more in that search in that situation if that happens. Um, so I will be betting Nunez round one in this fight and uh, maybe just Spencer Moneyline uh, because I think that Nunez, uh, obviously her best chance is to her typical bum rush where she just throws a ton of volume and power in round one and tries to knock her opponents out. And if she doesn't do that, I think that this fight is probably going to go the distance. I think that the goes the distance at plus 200 is a good value right now. I think that we could see this one turn into a low output striking match if uh, Nunes is not able to knock her out in round one. But you got to be worried about that power of Nunes. I mean, she hits like no other woman in women's MMA history. And we might see the difference between Cyborg's and Nunes's power once again because Nunes could just go out there and waste her in round one and make all of this analysis uh you know for nothing but uh i'll still i'll still analyze it as best as i can i give spencer a fighting chance in this fight i don't think she'll be hitting her own takedowns right away in round one i think she'll actually look to uh to clinch nunez up a lot maybe shoot takedowns and just waste some clock early get nunez a little tired and um i think the nunez decision is going to be my official prediction 
I think the goes the distance on this one at plus 200 or above has good value. And Spencer at her money line at four or 500 has good value too. And maybe even look to uh, live bet Spencer if she survives that early onslaught. So a lot of different betting perspectives going on from this fight. In the pre-fight money line, it's dog or pass. Look to live bet Spencer. And as a pre-fight bet, look to uh, bet the goes the distance as uh, the pick in this one. So once again, Nunes by decision is my official prediction. And uh, once again, this UFC 250 card is just stacked from top to bottom. And I love the betting value uh, across the entire board. Half a unit on Dunham at plus 240. Two units on Perez at minus 136. One unit on Kelleher at plus 240. 2.5 units on Mearshart plus 123. Half a unit on Eddie Wineland at plus 380. Two units on Anthony Rocco Martin at plus 125. And one unit on Rafaela Sunsau at plus 140. So that is going to do it for all the bets. I will have all my official bets, uh, my tracked plays on my Bet MMA Tips page, which I think I have profited five events in a row, up around 23 or 25 units in that time span too. So we've been on a roll lately uh, predicting fights and hope to keep it going here with this great UFC 250 card. So that is going to do it all for UFC or for Martian MMA episode 100. Once again, I want to thank each and every listener who's been with me over these past 100s. You all mean a lot to me, and I just love making this podcast, and I will keep doing it for the foreseeable future as long as people are keep enjoying the episodes and as long as I keep enjoying making them. So that is going to do it for this uh, podcast. I will be back next week before the next UFC card. And once again, find all my official bets on my Bet MMA tips page on my uh, where you can find me at Martian MMA on that platform so thanks again for listening and hope everyone enjoys the card and i'll see you next week peace